This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Kava. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Shopping.io. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week, and this week actually it was three days a week because we went live together. We get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to understand how this movement came to be, where we are now, where we're going, and all the crazy intricacies that come along with it. And I'm, I'm really pleased today to have my guest, Steve Gregory. Steve, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It's a beautiful day. You are um, part of Currency.com, and you have such a, an extensive, you know, from doing the research, you have such an extensive uh, um, a track record in the industry. You were the Chief Compliance Officer and Corporate Counsel at CEX.io, one of the, the largest exchanges. We Everyone knows that company. Um, you're based in New York, and you spent two years as Compliance Officer at Gemini, an even more famous company that everyone knows, one of the cornerstones, probably one of the cornerstone companies of our industry. And now you're part of Currency.com, which is a high-growth crypto asset platform, European-based, and you guys are doing uh, a lot of amazing things, um, kind of helping the regulatory framework in Europe uh, and and on a, on a deeper level, understand what type of risk the regulators look at us with, you know, what type, what type of eyes, because, you know, in the beginning it was just, I, everyone was thought it would, compliance would just be based on taking everyone's information. And once they're in the system, it's great. But now it's a, it's a whole different ball game. Really. Now you have travel rule, you have all these different things. Stable coins are coming under fire. Uh, what are they, you know, are they actual coins? Are they actually backed or are they kind of like really just hedge funds with the emperor's new clothes type of situation? Thank you again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Excited. There's a lot to talk about. And to really just kind of diving into it, um, stable coins drastically, drastically changed our industry. Do you remember um, back at Gemini, at CEX, you, it was always a USD BTC pair, USD, whatever coin or token pair. And then all coins and tokens were traded against BTC. But there was no stable coin, per se, until mm -hmm. stable coins became a thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of remember sort of the evolution of stablecoin. It was sort of, you know, when I started Gemini, there was just a couple of fiat on ramps, and then you had to sort of passport it to the other exchanges, and there was no like inter, you know, operability between the exchanges. But now with stablecoins, I mean, you see the market cap just exploding. Um, you know, first it was all tether. Now, you know, we have a bunch of other ones: USDC, Axos, whatever. I've been a big fan of USDC. Um, you know, and then you have. Um, GUSD, you have Paxos does one, and you have Tether, which is the oldest one, the longest running one. And recently it came out that I think 50%, no, sorry, 30% of, of Tether's reserves are with something called commercial paper. And yeah. most people, myself included, we don't really know what that means. We think that a stable coin has, you know, equal dollars in the bank as they would the market cap. Is that wrong? I don't know. I keep hearing a lot about people asking about the Tether commercial paper. Um, I think, you know, Tether is largely pretty opaque. I think that nobody really has any insight into what that commercial paper is or how they even define that commercial paper. Um, because, you know, in the U.S., we would probably have a tighter definition. And yeah. something like a USDC or a GUSD, 
you know, they're really open with their audits of where the money's custody. I think, you know, Tether is just so big that everybody uses it, especially in Asia, that I think, you know, people are sort of just betting on that it's a big entity right now. And that, you know, the opaqueness and like the transparency is not as scrutinized, unfortunately. So you could almost say that Tether, it it almost doesn't matter as much now if it's exactly 100% one-to-one because Tether as a currency in and of itself has value today. So it doesn't really matter at the end of the day if the market cap supporting Tether is largely these global businesses around the world. How is that different from fiat, which derives its value from the companies in that country, right? Is, is it, yeah. what's the difference? I mean, I sort of agree with you. If you, when you explain it that way, I mean, that there's value for Tether because there's a lot of outlets that, that value Tether and there's some utility for Tether. So whether or not it's fully backed, you know, there's less of a risk if there's always a place you can move it. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm trying to understand over time, Tether has completely changed because it has become, it went from being this currency where people were were fleeing China with, and now it has become largely uh, like like we're talking about this this global payment system. And that's when uh, a lot of people decided to to chomp at the bit. Tether had a monopoly for a very long time. Did, did people just not think that stable coins would be a viable business? And I still don't understand how they even make money. Yeah, I mean, I, so I was around with Gemini when they did the Gemini dollar. Um, I still think it's a very viable business. It's not going to be necessarily your core business because you can't, you, it has to be collateralized. It has to do certain things, but you get to essentially hold a large pot of money and then do what you need with it. Like you saw Circle disclose their financials and yes. only like, I think about 60% is actually in cash right now. So they're making investments on whatever um, is in USDC. And then there's other interoperability where the people will use their payment processing system and then have to just settle in USDC. Um, I think that, you know, we don't necessarily know the evolution of the utility of stablecoins yet. Um, it's just a good business model to have. And then you sort of figure it out as you go. And then the, the utility comes. Wow. It's it, no, you're right. And that's that's almost that's actually the, been the ethos of crypto for the past 10 years. Um, you know, you're the you're the U.S. CEO of Currency.com. And over the past, I don't know, year or so, we've had a a crazy bull market and I feel like all the companies in the space have to go on this defensive, making sure that all the technologies is is keeping in pace with the demand. Now that things have kind of slowed down a little bit, maybe, you know, the summer cool off period, which kind of happens every year. What are you looking at in the next six months? Yeah, great question. So, you know, at Currency.com, I think our approach is different because we're going to really layer in a lot of educational content and then educate sort of the retail public. So we've created a totally separate news service with a news desk, we're doing videos, and then we're gonna incorporate that into our app. So, you know, say you're trading a certain pair and you wanna get a little more information, we'll have a video that'll pop out, we'll explain that pair, explain the underlying asset, you know what I mean, explain the underlying protocol. Um, I think we're gonna layer that in, put in a lot of information in our independent news service. So that's YouTube, we're doing articles, we're sending reporters to big events. And I think, you know, in the time where it's cooling off, we can use that to sort of educate people. And then, you know, when the market sort of heats up and people will have more insight into what's going on, they'll be maybe more likely to use our platform or access the asset class as a whole. 
do do crypto traders um at currency.com you guys trade uh allow for the trading of like 200 other types of assets you have commodities you have oil you have everything in there do you see what type of insight can you give us do you see crypto traders taking positions in other types of commodities precious metals things like that yeah i think what we've seen is you know people are attracted to some of the volatility and some of the, the action of the asset class i think that you know when crypto's maybe cooled off and say like wheat futures or in a, like a super cycle, we think that there may be some carryover between those people, as long as they're educated enough on the asset class. So our products outside the US, the rules are a little bit different. We're able to offer sure. some more stuff that we probably couldn't offer here, but we definitely see some cross selling and sort of cross interest. How, how does something like wheat futures get traded? Is that something that you guys as a company have to take a position in it, like the mercantile exchange in Chicago? And then you can offer like, like you know, uh, a stripped versions of it or whatever to your customers. Um, I, you know, I think what we offer a lot is sort of tokenized oh. assets, so that we will create a market that sort of mirrors, you know, the actual market. And then depending on how we settle, um, you, we're not going to obviously do physical delivery. Of, of course, I don't think our customers necessarily want that. But I don't think most people would would care for that physical delivery I actually saw i was i forgot where i was i was somewhere and i was with a bunch of oh i was in um puerto rico and it was like during the height of covid and i was hanging out with a bunch of crypto people and one someone was saying hey we can buy a lot of corn right now and a lot of like we can buy all these futures are so discounted that we can yeah. just buy up all this oil oh it was oil that's what it was but it was actually oil, yeah. take delivery i was like i don't know like all right, I'll send you like I'll send you some Bitcoin and I can get like how many barrels of oil? What am I gonna do with it? It expires. Yeah, I remember that time when oil crashed. I remember I have a friend who's actually an energy trader and he was taking physical delivery and like found a warehouse in Oklahoma and made it happen. Hey, this is actually a, a great question that I can't ask a lot of people, um, or really uh can't actually give me a good answer. Now that we're in the industry 10 years later, um how how has regulation been from a U.S. perspective, a European, and then an Asian perspective? We kind of know what the Asian perspective is. Uh, well, actually, that's not fair because we know what the Chinese perspective is. We know what the Japanese perspective is. We know what the Korean perspective is in, in each individual country there. But how have the European and the American, uh, uh, you know, regulatory stances? Because it seems like when you talk to all these companies, again, you're, in the U.S., we offer one pair. And in Europe, we can offer a thousand. It's like every company I talk to you in, the, in, in. It seems to me that if you live in the U.S. or especially if you live in New York, you can't access anything ever at any yeah, point. <laughs> I know, I know, which is sort of the problem. And I think, I, I mean, I think the U.S. is sort of just a little bit behind the curve, just a little bit slower to evolve. Like, I don't necessarily think that when they envision the money transmitter and money services business, sort of legislation <laughs> and, you know, that law that they intended it to regulate crypto. You know, I think that it's kind of not where it needs to be. Um, I think we've seen like some progress with something like the OCC FinTech Charter as maybe supplanting the, you know, money transmitter and just having one regulator as opposed to many different state regulators, because even the state laws, you know, change fairly frequently. Um, How? Yeah, exactly. I, 50 states. Yeah. And it's tough. It's some states sort of regulate only order book trading, some regulate direct to consumer trading, some like New York, just anything that touches virtual currency falls under their, you know, their rules. So uh, I, I, 
I wouldn't mind seeing sort of like a federal, like overarching sort of clarity on the issue. I think Europe is pretty good about that. I think um, the Brexit sort of complicated things a little bit, but then, you know, in the UK, you fall under like the foreign con or the financial conduct authority. Yeah. So you sort of have one regulator for all crypto too, which is, uh, which is helpful. That's a good way of putting it because I always thought that you're regulated as soon as you touch crypto, but there's different types of, of like you said, order book regulating. There's, um, you could be a, a broker dealer, you can be a money transmitter, you can be all these different types of businesses. Uh, yeah, it's very interesting how it all works out that way. How can that change though? Like you said, I guess there are in Coin Center and there are all these different um, places in DC that are advocating for it. Yeah, I also think too, you know, the US is sort of blocked retail people from being able to access any sort of crypto derivatives. And I think that that's kind of where the fun is in the market in some places. So I think that, you know, the CFTC hopefully will have some sort of guidance, some sort of rulemaking where we can allow like non-eligible contract participants to be able to participate in sort of spot market crypto derivatives. Okay, so then someone comes to any exchange in the U.S., they buy a token and that token itself is the long or short position. Like you can buy DeFi tokens that where the token is the position. Like there aren't, there are tokens out there and coins that are like long this other coin and things like that. Yeah. So the token is the product. How do you regulate that? Do you even attempt? Do you create like a, a sandbox or gate around the businesses that are the toll booths? How do you, how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, Unfortunately, I feel like in the U.S., the banks sort of de facto regulate the exchanges anyway, because you have to do your audits, you're subject to the Bank Secrecy Act. So you don't really have a ton of touch with like the federal regulator. I would like to see sort of a framework to say, how do we offer these products that clearly people are interested in and then create the sort of guardrails so that we know people don't abuse them or, you know, the wrong people aren't using them and then sort of losing money or whatever. What are the the next project? The uh, what are the next products that people want to see? What are products that people want to see that we need to bring to our industry to increase the capital amount locked in? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, DeFi has so many cool projects right now. There's so many things that I'm personally a fan of that you know it may be tough, difficult to access as you know, U.S. resident, especially a New York resident. I would love to see some clarity on you know what's allowed there. I think you know, like liquidity mining or something like that. That's a great product. I mean, that is a lot of utility. I think if we explain that to retail people, they could see the benefit of it. Um, you know, I think, you know, let DeFi lead the way and hopefully the regulators will, you know, take notice and give us some clarity. Would you say that we needed DeFi to exist for, for regulators to actually take us seriously? Because before DeFi, everything about crypto was just kind of speculatory trading on, on what were we doing on the future. But DeFi gave us that future because now we can we gave us the ability to rebuild rebuild, you know, trillions of dollars worth of financial markets and payment rails on this new on these new protocols and new blockchains. Is that is that the case? Yeah, I think it like demonstrated the utility of crypto as opposed to just a speculative right. asset. And yeah. I think that's you know really the actual use case. Like that's why pretty much everybody who's working in crypto got into crypto, not just the speculative side of it. So I think you know, it shows the evolution of the market. And I think it shows that like, this is a real asset class that deserves attention from regulators in a good way, you know, a way to make it fair and broaden the access points. 
you know, you, you, you jumped in and your first foray into the space was, was working at Gemini. Were you fully sold on Bitcoin and crypto when you started working there? Um, I had heard about crypto probably early on, maybe like 2012 when I was like starting law school. And I was like so, super into it. I tried to figure out how to mine it, you know, whatever. But then I was a law student, didn't really have any money, couldn't really invest. So I was like sort of followed it, whatever. And then I went to the law firm, started practicing like securities litigation. It was okay. I was sort of trying to find my niche and like what was something I could work on that a lot of people, you know, like an emerging new asset class, sure. an emerging new industry. Um, I tried to start to write articles about it. And then, you know, at a certain point, I realized, you know, the law firm route wasn't really grabbing my attention the way that crypto is grabbing it. And then sort of reached out to Gemini. They were sort of very early stages. You know, wasn't even profitable yet. You know, they were doing like yep. a couple hundred thousand dollars a day in notional volume, like nothing big. Bitcoin was $800 at the time. And then I was, you know, in, surrounded in a room with really passionate people, really committed to the project. And then I was full board, totally sold. That was, And then, you know, that was 2016, 2017, 2018, sort of the run up. Um, it was a really exciting time to be into it. Yeah, because you were like in this passionate world of law doing crypto. And <laughs> you're like, wait, why am I? Studying crypto, but it was good because we, what you provided to our industry is what the industry needed, especially at that time. We needed soldiers like you to come in and help us continue to, we were, cause during what, I don't know if you realize, but that those years were very formidable years. The whole, we could, the Bitcoin and the industry, everything could have collapsed during those years. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fun too, because the rules were very unsettled. Nobody really knew what to do. Like FinCEN put out some guidance in 2015 and then people just sort of started following it, but states didn't even have their like money transfer oh, yeah. statutes outlined. Like there'd only been a handful of bit license ever awarded, you know, nobody really knew what to do. So it was just a really fun time to sort of build it out. Um, like build out the compliance programs, like follow, you know, what was established in the bank secrecy act and then sort of layer it onto crypto. Um, it was cool. Like all this sort of plumbing was built. Hey guys, I'm Charlie Shrem here in Las Vegas to teach some NFL players about Bitcoin. But I wanted to congratulate our sponsor Kava because Circle chose the Kava platform as one of their newest blockchains and protocols they're going to be launching USDC on. Traditionally, USDC has only been on Ethereum and one or two other chains like Tron. But now there's a bunch of other blockchains. The Kava platform is one of them. And you can access all of those super cool DeFi high yield opportunities that are on the Kava platform now with USDC, which we know and love. So check them out at untoldstories.link forward slash Kava. And congratulations, guys. Having Circle choose y'all as the top blockchain for USDC to be launched on is a big freaking deal. I'm gonna go teach some football players about Bitcoin. Here's Courtney, I'm out. The most important part of our Bitcoin and crypto industry is being able to not only earn money in crypto, but also be able to spend it, earn rewards in crypto and keep that uh, revolution going, keep the cycle going of all of us together. Well, my partners at shopping.io are offering just that, multi-tiered discounts up to 10% where you can spend your crypto anywhere that you're already buying everything already, Amazon, Walmart, eBay, but use your crypto to spend it Earn back cash back, earn back rewards. And not only that, but if you go to untoldstories.link forward slash shopping.io, you get an additional, on top of every other discount, an additional 2%. So you can go there now and shop and get 12% 
off of everything you're already buying anyways uh fantastic fantastic company thank you guys so much uh make sure you check them out at untoldstories.link forward slash shopping.io could you you know there there are a bunch of um there are a bunch of different projects that are trying to you know projects coins tokens blockchains that are actually trying to incorporate regulations into the chain itself uh there are a bunch of them I've invested in, in working for a few of them actually that are they're that trying to do it. It's a very difficult thing to do. You have things like the travel rule. Uh, can you explain for a second what that is and why that is like the biggest kind of obstacle right now towards towards regulation in our global industry? Yeah. So the, the travel rule is, you know, if you're going to convey a certain amount of value, whether that's in USD, crypto, whatever, from one party to another party, you have to have the identity of both counterparties. Um, and then that needs to be held in a repository Who's and you? possibly transmitted to like central authorities. The person sending it or the like the, the sending mechanism? Uh, both. So you want to have, think of it like the Swift wire system. You want to have both parties and have all their details. And then you transmit and you record the transaction. So the threshold for that for crypto now is only $1,000. So that's pretty low for crypto. Um, unfortunately, though, there's no sort of like independent third party that wants to be the repository keeper for all this information. And also sort of the blockchain is, you know, somewhat anonymized. Yeah, you don't want to keep that type of data on a chain itself, on the Bitcoin blockchain or whatever, on the chain of the value where you're sending it. Yeah, okay, so. Yeah, so I think that there's sort of an issue that all exchanges and all sort of crypto companies are trying to solve for to be able to sort of record that data in a safe way to be compliant with, you know, governments around the world, but also sort of allow some anonymity and privacy to the blockchain. Um, you know, when those rules came out for fiat currency, it took five years for the SWIFT system to actually evolve into a central repository to hold that information. Crypto has nothing analogous to that. I think that there's, you know, some groups trying to build it. And I think there's some inter-exchange sort of communication on how to do it. But, um, you know, I think we're a little ways off to be able to actually be able to satisfy those obligations. It's going to, I feel like it's a lot of ways off. Are we, is that number, will that number be increased? Will, well, do you think that could ever, I just, it's not about the compliance, but it's the fear of, of being in non-compliance all the time. It seems like it would create more uh, gray areas than it would create like clarity. Yeah, that's, a, I think operation is difficult too, because, you know, we have tools that sort of, scan the blockchain and sort of sure. link sort of underlying data to certain wallet addresses. But there's really no means to enforce that necessarily right now if you're an exchange. I think, um, you know, it's going to take time working with sort of the, the blockchain analytics providers and the exchanges to sort of create a system that everybody feels comfortable with. The blockchain analytic providers are already really good. I mean, you, you probably have to deal with uh, uh, law enforcement constantly. Um, you know, running such a large company. And I kind of, so do you remember the, the there was a pipeline a few weeks ago that was ransomed? Yeah. And, and, and I was literally joking to all of my friends and family saying, God, I promise you the government is going to get the money because no one realizes it and the hackers are too stupid to realize it. But, but using crypto over cash is a bad idea. Crypto yeah. is not anonymous. It's not, I went to jail, guys. It's not anonymous. <laughs> And so yeah. what happened? They paid the ransom and a few weeks ago and, a few, and a, literally a week later, they were all arrested. The money was, was gotten back. Yeah. So it's, 
Yeah, I think people don't realize that. That's a crypto is like every single transaction is recorded forever. That was I that's mean, the whole point of it. It was never meant yeah. to be anonymous. Yeah. You know, it's it's very interesting. You um I was reading an interview about you um um from techstartups.com. It was very, very cool. And and I'm a big Buccaneers fan, a Tampa Bay Bucks fan. Yeah. And in the interview, someone said, you know, who would you want to have in your corner? And you said Tom Brady. That was your answer. Like out of any executive, Steve Jobs, Tom Brady. I don't know if you remember this interview, but can you tell us why? Yeah, I just think, you know, he has like a culture of like bringing everybody up around him. I mean, it's no coincidence that he succeeds everywhere he goes. And he's very positive. I How think- does he do it? How does he do it? I mean, he turned the Bucks into a into a non-winning team. And now if he leaves that team, if he leaves, this is a winning team now. How does he turn? He needs to go and like fix companies, you know? I know. I think it's just a culture change. I think, you know, he's famous for committing himself fully and like getting fully in the weeds and being really perfectionist and then staying on people to raise their level up to his level of commitment. I think, you know, that's good for any quality, for any company across any industry. Um, you know, I've always sort of admired that kind of, that kind of quality. In him. So he wasn't a first round pick. He was a later round pick. He wasn't even like one of the best players. So now I'm, I'm kind of equating this to my listeners thinking, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one of 20 people going for this certain interview for this certain job. Maybe they want to get hired at currency.com with you. They may not be the best or the best or the best of the best grades or the best class president or the best at, at this, but you know, commitment and, and culture and reliability. Are those the thing that are those the things that matter when you're hiring? And this is the season for it. Now I, you see all the job openings create you, but you guys probably have job openings. What do you look for? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, sort of just being committed to the project and wanting to be there, you're going to care more. You're going to give more. If you're I try to gauge, like, if you have a genuine interest in the asset class and sort of the utility of crypto and sort of pushing that forward, I think you're just going to, and you also use it in your own daily life, you're going to be more interested in actually wanting to drive this asset class further. You're actually more invested. I think, you know, that's that's fundamental to something we look for. You're going to be more dependable. And I also sort of like people without the best credentials and that want to commit yeah. themselves because they sort of know, like, the pressure's on. I got to do it here, you know? They can't just rely on, you know, their past accomplishments. I think Tom Brady's great about that. That's so many past accomplishments, but he still goes out there and pushes it every day. Do you like running the U.S. division of a of a global, you know, huge company? Yeah, I do. I mean, thankfully, we've been successful in Europe. Um, So we have, you know, 500 team members abroad that are really helpful. I mean, I have a lot of resources, Um, and also we're entering, you know, arguably this probably the second biggest crypto market. Um, you know, with the backing of 500 people and the backing of already built exchanges, already built apps. So, you know, I think it's going to be really fun. I think we have a unique perspective on the industry. I think our um, global head of the group of companies has a very strong marketing background, very strong with user acquisition. I think that's something that's sort of lacking in our space. And I think, you know, laying on the educational aspect with sort of our new service that we're going to roll out, that we're going to have some differentiating factors and then sort of be able to compound on our success that we've had in the rest of the world. I mean, that's that that's what's so important. So you have this massive success all over the world. And the U.S. is this huge market that you're get tapping into. You got New York City in the background. So you guys are on the ground in in the U.S. What are you bringing to the table? It's a crowded market and you've worked for your the competitors of you now. So you know what's needed. What what's needed? Yeah, I think, you know, we're still early. I know everybody always says this, but it's so early in the asset class journey. So I think 
you know, we're going to really push with education at first. I think we're really going to push the message of like, here's what the asset class does. If we can just explain it and make it easy to use, we'll always be relevant. I think there's always, there's going to be new people coming to this industry for a long period of time. And if we can make our app as simple as like Instagram or as simple as like booking something on Airbnb, you make a purchase, you're going to feel more comfortable with jumping in and you're going to feel more educated and then you're going to be more confident in what you're doing. So I think that, you know, right now we're going to roll out our products in succession. So we'll start, you know, just with the spot market exchange and then we're going to layer in products more and more and then try to essentially get the new asset, the new people entering the asset class all the way up to sort of sophisticated investors in the asset class and really using crypto for what it's actually supposed to be used for, like the programmable money aspect of it. I love I love the pro- programmable money aspect of it. And I could definitely see uh, different types of smart contracts being built that kind of combine all the different assets that are tradable on the platform, you know, like wrapped commodities that contain baskets of different coins. I mean, it's the opportunities are endless because at the end of the day, we all want sovereignty. We all want the ability to control our, our lives now and our future lives and, and money and the ability to turn personal capital, our family's ability to earn money into protection for the future. It's been real estate, stocks, bonds, you know, those things provide yield over the course of time, but those things are harder to access now. My, my brother-in-law can't buy a house. They have the money to do it, but the barrier to entry, the barrier to entry to get in, I mean, even the stock market, because it's unfortunately, it's very so difficult still. It's filled with a lot of who know who knows what. Even crypto is still very difficult. So if we can create those, do you think, do you think combining the assets that we already know and love that we've loved for, for centuries and millennia, combining that with the new technology, is that what our next my few years are going to look like? I hope so. I think Ooh, it's exciting. You know, we're also going to be launching in the next uh, couple months, another like introducing broker dealer product. So we'll have our oh, other cool. sister company, capital.com and currency.com. So we'll be able to sort of cross use. So if you're comfortable with a traditional brokerage platform, we'll have a very similar inf- interface for our crypto platform. And then we'll be able to sort of show you the benefits of crypto. If you're already comfortable with just saying like an ETF or an index fund, we would show you, hey, you know, here's a crypto basket that's similar to that, similar functionality. Maybe that person would say, I'll take go out of my comfort zone a little bit, having already yeah. known equities, and then jump into crypto. I love that. It, it's it's combining it all together. Um, and I could definitely see on your platform going forward, um, I know I, I have such a wild imagination, but the ability to tokenize your own real estate and do business with other people. Oh, yeah. The opportunities are endless. Buying, you know, building a building in Germany could be done over the currency.com platform because you can connect all the monies and all the legal, and all the smart contracts can be all done. So, I mean, like, uh, I'm very excited. I really wish you the best and, and I'm excited to, to, to be moving forward, uh, over the next, like the next uh, autumn, you know, as, as the summer turns into autumn and we get back into it and, and conferences and the world opens up again, it'll be really exciting. I agree. Future's looking bright. It is Steve Gregory. Thank you so much currency.com. How can my listeners get in touch with you, follow you and the, and the whole team over there, uh, get involved? Sure. I mean, um, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn or, um, I I don't do much of a social presence right now, but maybe I'll start to step into that now. You should. Yeah. LinkedIn is a good way to find you and currency.com. Everyone will check it out. Steve, thank you so much, my friend. Thanks very much, Charlie.